Last week, I talked to you guys about a little uh, technology that we like to do now. Um, we actually have a podcast. I've been podcasting what happens here Sunday mornings for uh, actually over a year now, but you may not know that. And um, we're not trying to promote us. We're trying to just promote the gospel. And so that's our purpose for doing that. But if you do want to subscribe to that, you can just go to your um, iTunes music store and type in TBC Overflow. And um, there should be a way to subscribe to that. You can download just individual talks. Um, if you have friends that struggle with certain issues that we're talking about here on Sunday morning, you can say, hey, listen to this. This might help. Um, just a way for us to further the gospel and further the kingdom of God. And also just give you guys a chance. If you, if I, if, let's, let's say on Sunday morning you come here and you're just really tired one Sunday and you go, I heard nothing that David said today, which is probably for many of you most Sundays. But um, if you want to listen to it again and again and again, then you can listen to the podcast. Or if you miss a week, same kind of thing. So please uh, subscribe to that if you would like to, and uh, and you should get some help there. Um, now also, uh, this morning we're going to jump right into our first two questions for discussion to start things off before we get started. Now, um, I wanted to say something to preface the, the questions this morning. Um, the questions this morning are really geared more towards you sharing about your own life and talking about what God's doing in you. Now... I know that when the girls are asked those kinds of questions, they tend to talk more. Guys tend to talk less. So, if you're a guy in the room and you're going to go like this, if you're going to put up the wall this morning, I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, just don't do that. All right? Um, uh, talk about what God's doing in you. Don't, don't play this game of chicken with the other guys. Like, who's going to go first? Okay? Just don't do that. Just get past that masculine hang-up that you have and just... Answer the questions, okay? So answer your first two questions. Now it's always it's always hard to know when to uh kind of stop conversation because some of you guys are still discussing, some of you guys are talking about what happened this weekend, so um, I'll make half the room mad either way, so uh, but um, but I want to talk this morning, we've been discussing as you guys know this this series uh, called Why We Should Believe we're looking at the reasons of the faith and, uh, and you may or may not have thought of these questions before, questions about the faith but we wanted to address the questions back in the, in the, in the fall um, questions about suffering, questions about how can there be only one true religion, those kinds of questions and then take this, you know, the, the latter part of the fall and then part of the springtime here or winter, I should say, not springtime uh, and, and just talk about why we should believe, kind of build up reasons why you should believe and, um, and so today um, is kind of the culmination of this whole series, we're going to finish this series out today we'll skip of course next Sunday because of the men's conference then we're going to start the, uh, the book of Acts the week after that and we're also going to teach you guys how to study the Bible for yourselves as we look at the book of Acts so I'm really charged with about that, that series uh, coming up uh, now, um, for this morning, though, 
I want to read to you a long, long quote. This will take like four slides on our screen here. Um, but you guys, uh, any big U2 fans in the room? Uh, I'm an old guy, and so I like this band. They're like from the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. But uh, anyway... Um, I'm glad you like it, Anthony. They're not the Dixie Chicks, I know. But uh, but anyway, um, Bono, as you guys know, is always in the limelight making comments about all kinds of things. And um, he was interviewed a while back uh, about Jesus. And I guess I've always wondered, is he really a Christian or is he one of those guys that says he is? But I don't know if he's really truly or not, if he walks the walk or not. But he at least says some good things that I hope he believes for sure. Um, but here's what he was, uh, he was asked um, recently. The interviewer said to him, Christ has this rank among the world's great thinkers, but Son of God, isn't that far-fetched? And I'm not going to fake his Irish accent when I quote him, but uh, he says, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. Had a lot, of, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate, which means God in the flesh. And people say, no, no, please, just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. Next slide. But don't mention the M-word, because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually I am the Messiah. At this point, everyone is staring at their shoes, saying, oh my God, he's, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. And I so agree with what he's, what he's saying, that if you really think about it, if Jesus Christ was not the Messiah, then that means your calendar, 2011... Our whole dating system is is based on a nutcase, a, a complete nutcase, if, that's, if, if he was not the Messiah. And so it's very improbable that someone who was maybe so psychotic and crazy, if he wasn't the Messiah, that everything would have changed because of his being on this earth. I would liken it to, um, you guys uh, are tuned to recall what happened in Waco about 15 years ago. You guys recall this at all? Your parents telling you about David Koresh a long time ago. Um, he was a cult leader. But can you imagine a guy that crazy and that weird changing the course of history? No, because when they die, we go, yeah, good riddance, right? And so Jesus changed the course of the entire globe. And so you're stuck in this corner of either he's the Messiah, he was who he said he was, or he's a complete nutcase. There's no, no in-between. No in-between. So, that brings us to um, a statement I want to have you be left with for the series, and it's this. So the question is, what sets Christianity apart? 
What sets it apart? Go to my next slide for uh, after the interview portion. Yeah. Um, you guys can write this down if you would like to. No other religion has greater power to explain our world, where we came from, what's wrong with us, and how to fix it. Evolutionists will say that we, that they'll, they'll explain where we came from, but they can't explain what's wrong with us. Psychologists try to explain what's wrong with us. They'll say things like, well, your problems are caused by society, caused by culture. Well, the problem with that is that people are a part of society. People are a part of culture. So they have this way of like passing the buck to someone else. Well, it's not really your fault. It's everyone else's fault. Well, okay. Well, I guess I'm at fault for them, their problems then. Is that what you're trying to say? And so psychologists have tried to explain the problem, but they can't really give us the solution to it. They'll just say things like, okay, watch a lot of Oprah, watch a lot of Dr. Phil, pop some pills, take a vacation, and that's the solution. It's true. Only Christianity offers the solution to these three questions. We have the creation. We have Adam and Eve. And if Adam and Eve sounds crazy to you, I started reading Genesis this past week again. And uh, as I read the story, I, I, I read the story and I can think to myself, I can understand how an unbeliever has a problem with this story. It, it does sound far-fetched, does it not? But here's the reality. Any explanation for how the world began is going to sound far-fetched. Because here's the reality. The fact that we are even here is far-fetched. The fact that we are even here having this conversation. We are standing on a speck of dust in the Milky Way. Having this discussion about how we got here. I mean, that is just crazy when you think about it. So no explanation, evolution, whatever, is going to sound like it makes sense. Okay? The fact that we're here doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what I'm saying to you is that Christianity, I think, makes the most sense out of why we're here, what's wrong with us, sin, and how to fix it in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, here's the danger with a series like this. We, we've looked at several different kinds of questions people have about the faith. We've looked at doubt. We've looked at unbelief. Those types of questions. But the danger of a series like this is you might have answers, but do you have Jesus? You might have some answers to your questions, but do you know Jesus? And that's what I want to ask you today. You might have these intellectual um, answers you can now spit back if you're having doubts in your own heart or to a friend. But my question is, do you know, do you know the Savior? Do you know, do you know Him? Do you have Jesus? We can talk about all the reasons for belief. We can talk about all those kinds of things. But unless you have a real personal encounter with Jesus then all these answers are totally meaningless. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to go really light as far as the number of verses today, but Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. And 
I'm just going to read the passage, and then you guys are going to have two more questions at your tables. Here's the passage. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, for the first question at your tables, it says, in your own words, summarize what Jesus is saying here. Now, what I don't want people to do, especially the guys, is to say, well, my summary is, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I don't do that, okay? I want you to look at your Bibles. Um, look at if you, if you have a study Bible like me, has notes in it. I want you to kind of look at that, find out what you feel like he's saying, what it means, and explain that as best you can. Okay, I want to hear back from you guys a little bit. Um, how would you summarize this passage? What do you feel like Jesus is trying to say in this passage? Any ideas? Everyone's silent. Any ideas? Who is he talking to? What kind of group is he talking to? Yep. Wait, say that again. Okay. All right. Possibly. Uh, yes. Your body's going to have to work, but your soul's going to have rest. Okay. What's that? Okay, I see. I'm not quite sure. Yes, go ahead. Okay, so I see what you're saying. I got you. Okay, so what you're saying is that there's like this this sense where Christ does bring rest, but there's still a yoke involved of some kind. Okay, that's, that's a good observation. Yes. Hey guys, listen up. Okay, excellent. If you couldn't hear what she said, which you probably couldn't on this side of the room, what she said was, of course, this idea of the yoke. The yoke was like a wooden uh, instrument that they would use to strap like either two horse or two oxen together to pull a plow. And that, of course, the Pharisees, here's who he, Christ is, is basically saying this to people who have been oppressed by the Pharisees. Um, the Pharisees were people that were teachers of the law, and they basically would use the law of the Old Testament to oppress people. They would actually add things to the law. They totally missed the point of the law. Instead of seeing the law as, as a way for God to show us how evil, that we are, how evil we are and that we need salvation through Christ, they saw the law as just a way to gain righteousness, gain favor before God. They had it completely backwards. And so um, the Pharisees would, would teach people the law, but then they would add their own rules to the law. 
And each Pharisee or each teacher's um, way of seeing the law was called their yoke. And so um, there might be, if I was a Pharisee, there might be a Dave yoke, okay? There might be a Ryan Johnson yoke, all right? Um, If he was a Pharisee, teacher of the law. And you would choose who you want to follow. And you might say that I'm under the yoke of Dave Tate or I'm under the yoke of Ryan Johnson. They're my teacher. I follow after them, okay? And so that's what they would they would call that person's deal their yoke. Now Jesus comes along and says, I have a different kind of yoke. It's still a yoke. You're still linked to me as my disciple. But it's a different kind, completely different kind of yoke when it comes to following Jesus. You no longer are following rules to gain favor with God. But you are in a, in a close, personal relationship with Jesus. So when Jesus says, come to me, he is saying something completely opposite of what the Pharisees are saying. The Pharisees are saying, the Pharisees are saying, do. They're saying, do good things. They're saying, do. Turn in favor with God. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. That, that's what he's telling people to do here. Now, um, what I want you to get from this is that to come to Jesus does not mean just this abstract thing, okay? It means to trust Him. It means to enter into a relationship of trust with Jesus. Jesus invites us to trust Him. Now I want you to get this. Not just believe facts about Him. Jesus invites you to come and trust Him personally. Not just believe a set of facts about Him. Because here's my fear. I feel like I meet so many high school students where they can spit back the gospel. They can say, yes, I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. And they might have the facts right. But James tells us, New Testament, that even the demons believe those things. That even the demons believe the facts. But believing in the gospel is more than just believing the facts. That Jesus died, that he resurrected, that he even paid for your sins. It's more than just this mental belief, okay? It is way more than that. It is about a personal encounter with Jesus, where you enter a trust relationship with him. It is way more than believing the facts. It is way more than that. And so... My question for you this morning is, have you, have you come to this place in your life where you've had this personal encounter with Jesus? Have you gotten to a place in your life where you have felt convicted about sin? Where you feel like this pull towards Christ, relationally, even emotionally, where, where you crave that? I'll give you an example of just my own personal life. Uh, when I was in 8th grade... I would say that was my my personal encounter with Christ moment. Now, when I was four, I prayed this prayer that my mom led me through that I kind of halfway understood. And we call it the salvation prayer. Many of you guys have probably prayed that at some point. You pray and you say to Jesus, please come into my heart. Please come live in my heart. At which point I thought, how is he going to fit in there when I was that age? I didn't quite understand what was going on. But I may have been saved at that point. I don't know. But I would say from that age up until about junior high, I kind of understood. 
but not quite. I hadn't quite had that really personal encounter with Christ yet. And eighth grade comes around, and as you guys know, junior high is just hell, isn't it? Junior high is junior high is hell on earth. High school, you're like high school's hell part two, okay? But junior high is where hell starts, right? And um, it's awkward. I can recall in, in seventh grade, um, just getting in lots of fights with guys in the locker room. Like every like everything that happens, you're like masculinity is on the line. Like guys, like what are you looking at? You, you want to fight? You know, you're just like beating guys up all the time. It's just horrible, especially to be a guy in junior high. And so eighth grade comes around, and you're not quite as awkward as you were in seventh grade, but you're still pretty awkward. And for me. Um, I had my first girlfriend, eighth grade, and uh, and we got into this relationship, and it was like this four-month relationship, just really dysfunctional, um, just really immature, obviously, and I just felt myself being just pulled away from from God, and I felt myself just being, I knew it was wrong, I knew everything I was doing was wrong in this relationship, but I just felt like, well, this is what I want to do. And a few months went by, and I would hear sermons preached, I would hear the Bible talked about, and there would be this pull in my heart. There would be this pull in my soul of, I'm not walking like they're talking about right now. I'm just not. And for about six months, I felt this. And finally she and I broke up, and um, I was, uh, you know just kind of distraught by the whole thing and just felt like what just happened and so um, in this moment of like needing God one night I'm at my church and the pastor preached this message and I knew that I need to do something here I need to get right with Christ and I knew that I could not do that in my own efforts but I knew that Getting right with Christ required a submission to Him. It required a personal surrender to Him. And so I went down front that night, and I don't know if you call it a first-time salvation or a rededication, whatever word you want to use, God just moved that night. He did. And that was the night where I I, I decided that I was going to live for Christ. That was when I decided, you know what, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I want to follow him. I want to pursue him. There was a lot of emotion involved that night. And so there was this moment where it was a very real personal encounter with Christ for me at that moment. Now, my question for you is, have you experienced something like that? I'm not talking about just a concrete example of what I just described to you, but have you experienced that time where you feel that pull towards him and you feel like, I want to repent, I want to believe in Him, I want to turn from my sin, I want to turn towards Him. And so if you're asking yourself the question today, well, how do I come into that personal encounter with Christ? How does that actually happen? I have three questions I want to ask you uh, this morning. The first one is this. Next slide. Or sometime today. There's a slide there. Just trust me. There we go. Now go back to the one that says surrender. Yeah. It's funny how that works, huh? Just trust me, Anthony. Trust me. Um, 
Are you daily surrendering to Christ? Now, for some of you guys in the room, you've never surrendered to Him even the first day, the first time. When it comes to surrendering to Christ, there's a sense of, there's the initial surrender. I would say that back when I was, that's when it happened for me, it was 8th grade. But there's also this daily surrendering to Christ. Not that you get re-saved over and over again, but there's this constant daily surrender to Christ. Have you experienced even the first surrender to Christ in your life? Can you say you've had that personal encounter with Jesus? Now, um, one thing I want to say about that is that when you come to Christ, when you decide that you want to follow Christ, it involves checking your motives. It involves asking yourself the question, okay, why do I want to follow Him? Why do I want to follow Jesus? If you think of it like this, if you come to Christ with the wrong motives, it is not going to last. In fact, I would say if you're someone that that started following Christ earlier in life, and you're having a tough, tough time following that through with perseverance, then you may have come to Him with wrong motives. Think of it like this. Most relationships start off pretty shallow. Wouldn't we all agree with that? Most human relationships start off fairly shallow. We like someone for beauty, for personality, for sense of humor. Um, I'm not going to lie. When I first met my wife, if there hadn't been this initial physical attraction, she probably wouldn't be my wife. Okay? Now, God did design us that way, but at the same time, most of us start off kind of on a shallow footing, do we not? And so if that's true, um, that's why we say things like, for a woman who marries a man for his money, what do we call her? Gold digger. Okay? For a, for a man who marries a wife for her looks, we say that she is his what? Trophy wife. You guys know this terminology. I'm proud of you, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but here's the reality. If the, whole, if the whole relationship is based on that, it's not going to last. If the relationship is based on just what you can get out of it selfishly, it's never going to last. And, and so eventually you grow past this shallow stage, and eventually you grow to love the person just because. Just because you do. You've chosen to love this person. Because here's the reality. If, if my wife were in a car accident tomorrow and her face was totally disfigured, I would still love her. And it sounds crazy for you guys that are like not quite there yet. It, it, it's amazing how God works in, in these kinds of things. That you might come into a relationship for the wrong reasons, in a sense, or for shallow reasons, but God grows you beyond those reasons, and you start to love someone just because. Just because you do. And, and, and so you love them for who they are, and that's it. Because everything else is going to change anyway. You love them for who they are. And, and so for you guys, a word of advice, if your wife ever asks you the question, why do you love me? The correct answer is just because. Okay? Because if you say, well, I love that you're this, or you, she'll say, well, what if that changes? All right? And then you're trapped. So just say, just because. That's the correct answer. Now here's the reality. I don't even know what that was. Um, but, but listen to this. Most of us come to Christ for selfish reasons, do we not? We want to escape hell. We want help with something. 
we want uh, to get happy. But if you stay there, it's not going to last. It will not last. There was a guy uh, recently that I met with who, um, who told me that he knows he knows Christ, but he said, I just feel like I don't feel anything. I don't feel like I just have a relationship with him. And we, through our discussion, it's almost like he discovered that he may have started following Christ just to escape hell. And that was it. If you start following Christ just to escape hell, I mean, it's basically like getting married just to escape singleness. Right? I mean, you hope there's more to it than that, right? And if there's not, it's not going to last. It will not last. Eventually, you have to come to Christ for who He is and desire Him, not just His blessings. I mean, there are blessings there, but you've got to desire Him for Him, not just what He can do for you. And some of you might ask uh, the question, okay, well, how do I really surrender to Him? I'll tell you, it involves, I think, two really important things. To surrender to Christ involves, always involves repentance. It always involves this feeling of, of, of being sorry for your sins. It involves this feeling of this, this sense of turning from your sins and walking towards Christ. I mean, if, if in that moment, eighth grade, if I decided, okay, I'm going to really follow Jesus, but then stay to that relationship, am I really following Jesus? Am I really repenting? Am I really turning from sin? The answer is no. It also involves a, a real sense of belief. Um, yes, sir, you've got to believe. You've got to believe in some of those facts we talked about, that Jesus Christ is God, that He really died on the cross for your sins, that He really was raised again on the third day. You've got to believe those things. You've got to believe those facts to be saved. But here's the reality. Just the facts, just believing a set of facts doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. The person of Jesus, this personal encounter with Christ, is what I think... When, when you realize that, that that's what it's about, that's when you understand what it means to trust Him. That's what it is about. Um, I can also say this. Real belief requires trust. Real belief always requires trust. Let me give you an example of, of what I mean by trust. If Let's say this stage was a cliff, and it was more than a two-foot cliff. And if I stumbled and fell off this cliff... If there was a branch kind of hovering out this way that I could grab hold of, let's just say two scenarios may, may happen. One, um, I may have all the intellectual knowledge that that branch will save me if I grab it. I may have all the intellectual knowledge in my head, but if I don't actually reach out and grab it, it's not going to save me, right? On the other hand, if I am starting to fall and I... Um, have some doubt and some question as to whether or not that branch can save me, but I reach out for it anyway, it's still going to save me. My point in telling you that story is this. It is not the strength of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. So even if you're someone who is in doubt and you still have questions, you can still surrender to Him, even in the midst of your doubt. Because He will still save you. He is that gracious. The question, next question is, are you living in authentic biblical community? Are you living in real 
relationships that lead you to Christ-likeness. Now, if you just surrender, if you just surrender your life to Christ, but you don't move into relationships that help mold you and shape you into Christ-likeness, then you're going to experience what my friend did that I talked about a while ago, who really has no passion, no zeal for Christ, is bored with the faith, because you need to be around people who can spur you on towards Christ-likeness. This past Wednesday, um, Aisley shared her testimony on the stage, and I told you guys that when you hear someone else's story, it inspires you. So if you feel like you're apathetic, if you feel like you're lacking, hearing someone else's story is a chance to see Jesus through someone else's eyes. And that can inspire your faith. And then that, then your transformation can lead to someone else's transformation. And on and on it goes. So are you, are you living in real, authentic, biblical relationships? This is the whole thrust of Wednesday nights here, of, of, of trying to get you guys in those kinds of uh, friendships. The last question, and we'll close up with two more discussion questions, is this. Are you living on mission? Are you living sacrificially? You can have the first two things I've talked about, but if you are not on a mission to see other people come to know Jesus, then even your faith is going to grow cold. Even your faith is going to get stagnant. There's a, uh, a TV miniseries that came out a while back called Band of Brothers. Anybody seen that? Um, it's about maybe 10 years old or so. And it, of course, chronicles these guys in World War II. And um, they interviewed these guys. They were actually the real people that happened in, in real life. Um, what brought them together. And the, the only way to get northerners and southerners, people across racial lines, to work together and not just work, but become really good friends and be closely connected to each other, the only way for that to happen, they said, is the mission. We're on the same mission together, sacrificing our lives together. And because of that, we set aside racial barriers. We set aside cultural barriers because the mission took precedence over everything else. And so when you're on a mission with everyone else that's here, you start to see past gender lines. You start to see past school lines. You start to see past racial and ethnic and cultural lines. And you see that we're all on this mission together, trying to serve God together and spread that message to the rest of the world. That's what unifies us. That's what brings us together. And the, the great part about that is that our mission is a lot bigger than what their mission was. Their mission was, was just physical freedom. The mission that you and I are on is about a freedom so much bigger than that. It's a freedom from sin, a freedom from death. And so what I want to close with this morning is that if you're someone who you're not quite sure if you've ever had that personal encounter with Christ, you know the facts, you know the right answers, but you're not quite sure if you ever come to a place of trust in Christ. You never have really turned from your sin, repented and turned towards Christ in a real personal way. If that is you this morning, I want you to do this this morning. I want you to either pull your leader aside at your table after this morning's over and say, I want to do that today. 
I want to pray. I want to talk to Jesus today and tell Him that I want that personal encounter with Him. I've never experienced that before. I want it today. Discuss that with them or come and talk to me if you feel led to do that as well. But if you make that decision today, to follow Christ today, I do want to hear about it. I want to know about it. And so to wrap up, go ahead and discuss your last two questions at tables. And if that's you, don't hesitate.